Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. We're going to be in two different places tonight. We're going to be in uh, Numbers chapter number 16. And we're going to be in Joshua chapter number 22. You want to turn there. uh, We'll find our place there here in in just a little bit. But Numbers chapter number 16 and Joshua uh, chapter number 22. I want to preach on when idolatry in infiltrates our mission when idolatry infiltrates our mission you know it's a weird thing uh in america how we've been sold almost a bill of goods in the realms of christianity that that as long as our kids are are morally decent people that we've succeeded in raising christian people like we've succeeded in raising disciples. That's what, that's what morality is, what people equate to Christianity now. I, I mean, if they're moral, then they must be Christians. Now, I know some good people that, that are not Christians that are actually, in fact, moral people. But what, what, we've, let, what we've let happen is we've let Laodicea define what a disciple is. We've let Laodicea define what a Christian is. And what ends up happening is we give our kids over to a, to a standard of morality as long as they're doing something instead of being something, then we're okay with that. And the whole time, uh, it, it, it's, it's like the God of this world chalks another generation up to being gotten. You know, I, I ask myself the question, did the America that my parents grew in uh, grew up in did, did it did it make them spiritual giants for the Lord? Did did, it, did, did the America that that my my parents were raised in did it did it cause them to anticipate the judgment seat of Christ and how it worked out for them? I even went back to my grandparents, and I started calculating in my mind: Did did my grandparents grow up in a place in an America that that? that caused them to think about the judgment seat like God thinks about the judgment seat. In reality, uh, America has has formed most of our parents, most of our grandparents into a self-absorbed, self-centered, what Sam says, me, a group of me monsters that have a completely abandoned the work of the Lord for a very shallow attempt at Christianity, which we would, which we would just call morality. Like long as long as in the South it works like this, as long as you don't smoke, as long as you don't drink, as long as you don't chew and run with them that do. You're all good, man. And, and here's what it is. We 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 have we've come to the place to where the root of all of the issues of our problems is what God calls idolatry. 
Like, like the question that, that we would be asking the lost world is, uh, what, what does it matter when you die? That's what the question that we ask the lost. What, what is, what, you know, let's, let's propose that question to the lost world. What, how, what does it even mean when you die? What does it matter when you die? What's going to happen to you when you die? But I want to ask you, those of us in Christ, what does it matter when you die? What happens after that? And then that little, that, you know, that little irrational verse pops up in the Bible. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that that he had done, whether it be good or bad. You see, the key issue at the very heart, our problems with handing down to the next generation is idolatry. And most of the time, the idol's us. How many of you understand that most of the time that the idol in your life is the one that you stare at in the mirror? Last night, I, I dealt with that idea of a, the Christian life failsafe. For without me, ye can do nothing. And I've thought about this many times. In this life, I can do nothing without him, but I can try. And you know what that's called? That's called sowing. I can try to do things without him, and I'm going to sow. And what's going to happen? One day I'm going to reap what I sow. I can sow, and I can, if I sow to the flesh, I'm going to reap corruption. And, 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 and here we are. In this life, I can do nothing without him. And in the process of sowing, in that life, everything is going to be seen. I'm going to see everything that I did without him. You realize that? That, that one day, we're going to see everything. We're going to reap everything that we did without the Lord Jesus. Everything that I did in, in the power of my flesh, man, it's going to burn up right before me. Now, I guess one of the scariest thoughts for me is that, and, and, and look, I got some, you say, man, you got a lot of scary thoughts. Hey, a lot of stuff keeps me up. <laughs> but deep down on the inside, it motivates me to a different place. I guess one of the fearful things for me is, for me as, as somebody that claims to be walking the walk that Christ has given me to walk. I mean, can you imagine me standing in the judgment seat and your family be behind you and everything that you claim to do in the name of Jesus Christ burn up before you and their face? Can you imagine that? While, while your motive is being put on trial and your family standing behind you and, and thinking that dad was the real deal, thinking that mom was the real deal, and your children standing behind you with, with their eyes wide open watching the very essence of your life burn up before? It's a motivating factor that we, should, that we should look deep on the inside at tonight. Am I the biggest problem in my life? Am I the idol that's keeping me from handing down the mission? 
Is my dreams, is my thoughts, is the things that I want, is the things that I desire, are they keeping me from giving what, what God has gave me, giving it, giving it to the next generation? 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Verse 4, he said they, they, they're going to be high-minded and lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15, he says that we should, that, that they which live should not live hence, uh, should not uh, henceforth live unto themselves. Paul writing to the Philippian church, he says, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Man, we've got a book that God's given us, and he's given us this book to cut us coming and going. And he needs us to see tonight that at the very heart of this question of idolatry is, is, is the work of the Lord really important to me? Is the work of the Lord really important to me? Is, 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 the, is the idols in my life pulling me from the purpose of my life? Is it, is it this idolatry that's keeping me from fulfilling the mission of, of winning people to Jesus Christ and be, building them up in their faith and sending them to do the same thing? You see, it's idolatry when a, when a church is dying because it has no, because it does not have the life of Christ in it. It's idolatry when it's been consumed and absorbed with uh, something other than Jesus Christ. Man, sometimes I think we got a greater allegiance to America than we ever had to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. I don't care what side of the political polls you're going to stand on. Some of us have a greater allegiance to who's going to be in office than we do Jesus Christ. We're, we're, more, we're, more, we're more worried about what's going to happen down the road than we are way on down the road. Like, like we know that November's coming, but we forget that, that the judgment seat is really coming. Like what I do in that day has ever, what I do with today has everything to do with that day. And I don't know how many of you understand it, but we've got to get to a place where we can see that. If we're going to reach the next generation. Man, we depend on, on this world's scholars as though they're, they're sent under divine intent to teach our children stuff. And look, my, my wife's a public school teacher. My kids are in public school, but we, we all understand they're not sent from God. But we look at that thing like it's the end-all, be-all sometimes. Well, they got to go to college. they got to go do this. they got to go do that. And we look at that like the end-all, be-all. There's some of us that depend on sports programs like they're the end-all, be-all to our kids' futures. <laughs> Don't go meddling with sports, preacher. <laughs> For the record, I can talk about it. i got a lot of sports. i got a lot of sports going on in my house. <laughs> But I, I got parents that, that think if, if my kid don't get a college scholarship for school, they're not going to be able to make it through school. Like, they should have made better grades. <laughs> I 
Well, they got more athletic ability than they do grace. No, they got more athletic ability than they do accountability. You see, we put so much stock into the things that don't even matter. When's the last time you looked at you you looked at the kids in your own house, or you looked at your grandkids, or you looked at your nieces and your nephews, and you thought, man, Jesus Christ's words are what's going to carry them kids through life. Man, when's the last time you looked at this group of children sitting over here, and you looked at this group of teens sitting over here, and you thought, I wonder who's going to be the next missionary. I wonder if the next pastor. At First Baptist Church uh, in New Philadelphia, I wonder if it's sitting on the pew in here. I, I wonder who's going to do this. I wonder who's going to be the next church planner. I wonder who's going to do this. Who's going to do? Who's going to be the Chris in the church that has to deal with me and not having all my notes like they're supposed to be? <laughs> I mean, y'all need to raise a real saying if you're going to find somebody like her. Because it ain't easy putting up with me. I felt really bad for her. I'm like, man, I got to do better. So I asked myself the question, what has America really done for my kids? It's been so much better than Jesus Christ could have ever done. It's almost as we're, we're raising the next generation to not believe that this is enough. Well, I mean, you, you wonder why Joshua had to ask the children of Israel if it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord. That would never be an option that I would... Picture Joshua, an evil thing to serve the Lord? What well, is an evil thing to give your life to God nowadays? You're, 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 you're short a few brain cells. If you believe that Jesus Christ has preserved a book, that, 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 that we have been handed down a book that's perfect, you're crazy if you believe that, that Jesus Christ can take your child and just based on faith can do crazy things for the glory of God with them. Maybe God has given us the next generation for such a time as this. Man, we, we do crazy things. We weep for our kids sometimes. That they won't get to enjoy some of the things we did. Well, let, me, let me propose a thought to you. Maybe they don't need to enjoy the same carnal pleasures that some of us were afforded. Maybe they don't need to enjoy the same carnal pleasures that kept some of us from living a life that's worthy of the high calling of being called the Christian. Maybe they don't even need to be enticed with that. You see, much is at stake. 
Everything about me, every relationship I have, every dream, every wish to become, everything that can be seen and that can't be seen, it depends on this one. It's, it's on the line. Why? Because idolatry is everywhere you turn. When you're looking for pleasure, you're going to be able to find it. When you're looking for power, you're going to be able to find an idol. When you're looking for love, you're going to be able to find an idol. The thought of idolatry seems so primitive. It seems so out of date. It seems so cold. Yeah, you're thinking, man, this mean guy coming in here. It seems so, it seems such a, it seems like such a cold thought. It seems like such an out-of-date thought. It seems so primitive that idolatry could be our problem. What well, it was it was Paul that when he's writing to this Colossian church, he, he says, covetousness which is idolatry. Idolatry is covetousness. And I'll never forget, Brother Mark would always say, which is the sin of wanting more. Or the sin of wanting more than God wants you to have right now. It's funny, Joshua 20, and, and, and you don't turn there, but it's, it's crazy. Uh, it, you get right there to the end in, in Joshua 24, and he's presenting three different categories of gods. And, 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 he, and, he, and he, he, he throws it out there, the, the God is, gods of your ancestors, the gods of your forefathers, and, and, and you could almost classify it as, as who our families taught us to worship. And, and, and may I say, I, I was taught to worship me. I was taught to look out for number one. And, and, and then they had the God of the Amorites, the, the gods of the culture, the gods of the culture around them. And, and, and we've all been conditioned to bow to the gods of the culture around us at times. You see, the next generation... The next generation are, are, are having to deal, number one, with who we have taught them to worship. You hear what I'm saying? They have, they, how many of you understand that we have taught our children to worship? Now, we don't, we, sometimes we don't know that we do it, but we teach them by example through who we worship. We teach them with words. But a lot of our actions speak to who we worship. And we teach our kids who we worship. And, and, and make sure you get this. Culture is teaching our kids who they should worship. Culture is teaching our kids who they should worship. Here's what you and I got to do. We got to set them up on that one true God. We got to set them up, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It, it, Joshua made it plain. He, he, look, look you, you can serve the gods 
uh, uh, from the other side of the flood, the ones that your forefathers served, you, you, can, you can serve them. The ones that your ancestors served, who you were taught to serve, you can do that. Or, or you, can, you can serve the gods in the culture around you. But, but as for me, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, how, how am I going to, there, there's a couple of things when I, when I think about idolatry, when I think about this generation that failed, that Joshua was in, that went to a Judges chapter number two generation. Man, there, there's all kinds of things that, that, that come to my mind when I, when I think. But I, I thought, what, I need two, give, get, just give me, I, I only got time for two. <laughs> two of the biggest things that, that I see that keep us in terms of idolatry, from handing down our spiritual DNA to the next generation. Two of the things that I see. Uh, number one, I, I, want you to, I want you to look at this. Number one, instead of serving among the people, the leaders desire to serve above the people. Instead of serving among the people, the leaders desire to serve above. Above the people, First Peter chapter two, First Peter chapter five, verse two says, "Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but here it is, but being in samples to the flock." The, the, the one, one of the biggest problems in our particular area is, is that there's a group of people that would rather rise above the people than they had get down in a place of shepherding among people. When you look at Numbers chapter number 16, I, I want you to look there in verse number 1. Numbers chapter number 16 in, in, in verse number 1, the Bible says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, and the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Pethel, the son of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and says, you take too much upon you seeing all this congregation are holy. Now make sure you get what's happening. They're, they're telling the shepherd how the congregation is. They come and they say, they're telling the shepherd that, that Korah and these 250, they're telling the shepherd how the congregation actually is. You, you, you're taking too much on you seeing that this congregation, they're holy. You ready for this? Every one of them. Now that's a lie. How many of you understand that's a lie? Like Cora's dumb if he thinks that, that, that that's, a, that's a goofy statement, right? Like it'd be like me coming, into, uh, coming in here and say, hey, bro, you're taking too much on you. All these people are here, they holy. How many of you understand? That's crazy. So, so he's making a statement right off the rip that has nothing to do with a shepherd's heart. So he starts accusing Moses. He says, wherefore then, lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Moses heard it. Now, here's how you know a real leader. Here's how you know a real leader. 
When he has people, when he has things like this come against him, he fell upon his face. He fell upon his face. He didn't run to a board. He he didn't run to Aaron. He didn't run to his buddy. He didn't run to so-and-so. He didn't run here. He didn't run there. Where did he go? He ran straight to God, and he fell on his face. You know what I think? I think in Moses' heart, he had to do a check. Are they right? Have I lifted myself up above the people? No, the, the shepherd knew the people. Look at verse number, uh, look verse number five. And he spake unto Corin, on all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto me, even him who hath chosen, uh, even, even him who he, whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto me. This do. Take censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord uh, tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. You take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, you sons of Levi. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you, that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel, to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he hath brought thee near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And, and, and seek ye the priesthood also, for which calls both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? Make sure you see what's happening. They had a job serving. But they wanted a title. They wasn't comfortable serving among people and ministering among people. You, you, they, some people think this is the greatest place on earth right here. I love what I get to do, but this ain't the greatest place on earth. Man, there ain't nothing like, for me, there ain't nothing like taking this book and taking another man and sitting across from him with a cup of coffee in my hand and taking this book and doing just what Mark Trotter did to me week in and week out. Man, there ain't no more fulfilling than watching the light bulbs come on and watching that dude take his family and grab his family up and hold them and love them and lead his wife and love his wife and be a man of God and be the, be the man God's called him to be. There ain't nothing like it. But you know what? Because you ain't never, you ain't never been here, you think that that out there, it, it, that, that what you're doing may be less than. I want you to understand something. God will never give you more to your comfortable doing what you're doing. God will never put you in a place as long as you're resenting other people in positions of ministry. And long as you think you could do it better than them. And as long as you think you've got a better word. And as long as you think you're more equipped. And as long as you think you should be the person doing it. God will never put you there. You see, they gathered against the entire congregation 
of the Lord. You see, the, the difference between Moses and Korah, Moses wanted to be a shepherd. Korah wanted to be a leader that wasn't really a leader, but had a title of a leader. You ever know anybody like that? They want to be the leader. They want to have their name on the office door. They want to have their name on the desk. They, they want to have their name here and their name there, but they don't really want to be a leader. They don't really want to be the, the servant that gets among people. They want to get a butt. You see, this is one of the major problems in handing down to the next generation. The result of such actions is is division. It's destruction. It's people that used to be there that are no longer there and they're divided from, from the assembly. They, they were once uh, held in a place. You got, you got Kor and Dathan and Abram and, and 200 well-respected leaders within this congregation. They all come up against Moses and because of them causing this, they they all die by the hand of the Lord. They didn't die by the hand of Moses, although Moses does take the rap later. I mean, they go as far to say, hey, you, you killed the people. Moses, you killed them because you wouldn't give them the position that they wanted. You got them killed. There'll be people that will resent ministry leadership that won't give other people that ain't ready a position and they'll get mad and leave and they'll take their family with them. Well, you ain't going to give me what I want. I'll go down to the next church. And then they'll get mad at the pastor because he stood on ground worthy of standing because the person hadn't been proved yet. The person wasn't ready yet. The person didn't have the heart they needed to serve in ministry. How do you know all that? <laughs> I've watched it so many times. Congregation always ends up being the people that pays the price, though. They end up coming to a place where... where <laughs> How many of us can say amen right here that we're super pro-local church? Amen? Look, y'all ain't said amen all week. This is good practice for you. Come on. Good night. Listen, I can't handle but about one more night of you not at least saying amen here and there, okay? You're getting on my nerves. Amen, oh me, something, oh my. I don't care, shut up will work. I mean, I can preach through that, I don't care. But instead of unity, there's division and there's destruction and there's death. And what ends up happening is, is the people in the congregation, they pay the price as they resent local church authority. They, they, re, they resent local church structure. Say, man, you, you've seen that a time or two? Here's what happens. Here's what ends up happening. 
When churches are no longer biblical and they're no longer missional, they, they become political. Because it's the easiest thing to do. They, they get all kinds of boards together. They get, they get all these committees together. They get all this stuff together. And, and they, they try to line it out to where everybody feels good about where they are as far as the political chain goes. They don't care nothing about the fact that, that they're not biblical and they're not missional anymore. They become cultural. They become political. And they lose their focus. And here's what ends up happening. The next generation gets left out of it. And they are going to despise that. They're going to despise you. They're going to, they're, they're going to hate you because they don't want politics in church. They don't care what you want. Dude, one of the reasons I didn't get saved till I did get saved is because of the of the politics when I was younger, the few times I went to church, it was just a mess. And the fact that all them Christians that said they were Christians in that place, they, they, they didn't act like that. Well, the couple of churches I went to, it was a little bit rougher. I mean, I still got some fine-tuning needs to be done. But they just didn't accept everybody unless they looked like everybody else. You know, you, you got to ask yourself, what am I willing to do for the next generation? Look, look at verse 46 with me. Now, now, God, we're, we're, we're skipping ahead a little bit because i got to be done in a little bit. You can't go over here without somebody eyeing you, side-eyeing you. You can go over at my house, but you can't go over here. There's too much, there's too much going on. I don't need nobody side-eyeing me tonight. Verse 46 lets us in on, on, on what's going on. Here's... There's death that's taking place because there is people that is desiring to overthrow the shepherds. But they don't want to overthrow the shepherds because they feel like the shepherds are doing a bad job. They want to overthrow the shepherds because they feel like they could do a better job. They're not, do they're not doing anything wrong. They just think they could do better. So instead of serving out in the position of ministry, they've been given to serve as Levites. Well, we want, we want, we, we, we want this part too. Give me this too. And, and, and so here's what happens. Death starts taking place. They're, they're all swallowed up. I mean, they're, I mean, can you imagine that? You're standing here one day. You're standing here one minute. Next minute, you're not standing there no more. You're swallowed up in the ground. Wouldn't that have been a crazy little situation to have to endure? Let me, let me give you a principle, though. Korah, a, spiritual, a spiritually dead generation, has now produced other spiritually dead generations. Korah has now taken uh, has now taken a group and produced in them what was actually in him. 
Look, 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 look what Moses, everybody's dying right now. Verse 46, everybody's dying. And Moses said unto Aaron, take a censer and put fire, uh, and put fire thereon from, uh, from all the, off the altar and put on incense and quickly go into the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there, uh, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. And, and Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran in the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700 besides them that died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned unto Moses under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the plague stayed. People died because somebody tried to take out the shepherd. Somebody that, that, that decided they didn't want to serve among the people anymore. They wanted to be above the people. And the congregation paid the price. Now the question here is who is going to be willing to stand in the gap to intercede for the next generation. Who is going to be the one to stand between the living and the dead? <laughs> you see the heart of Moses as he's standing there and there's, there's four, there's, uh, we're, we're, we're 14,000 people in and he's, he's asking, he's Aaron, hurry, Aaron, hurry. Go get fire, make an atonement. Aaron, hurry. Aaron, they're dying everywhere. This has caused a big ripple effect. They're dying, man. Go make an atonement. Man, when's the last time you went with that kind of urgency? For the next generation. When's the last time that you went with that kind of urgency instead of complaining about the next generation? You realize that don't do anything for us? You realize all of the standing up and complaining about the next generation and who they are and what they are and what they think and what you realize that does nothing for us on the surface? Who is going to stand in the gap? Who's going to have some urgency? Who's going to stand between the living and the dead? Friend, I got news for you. There's a great group of people here. Don't diminish what God's give you in ministry. If God's giving you a person, then take that as serious as you would anything. Because that's your person. And if you can raise that person in the Lord, then you can change an entire generation. You can change a, you can change a, an entire generation. And, then, and guess what? That person can then raise somebody in the Lord and change an entire generation. All because you took serious at one time in your life that one person that you got. And guess what? You get to the judgment seat. You're thinking, man, all I got is one. And then standing behind that one is all the other generations that were reached because you stayed with that one. 
Because you didn't worry about the multitude. You didn't worry how many it was. You worried about quality over quantity. And you wasn't so worried about how many you could get, but you were worried about what you had been given. Be careful that you don't fall prey to desiring to be above people instead of among them. Now, number two, uh, let me give you this quickly. Some believers choose almost, but not all the way. Some believers choose almost, but not all the way. An interesting phrase that Agrippa said to Paul, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God not only thou, but also all that hear me this day, but were both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. It's an interesting thing that, that we get to the place to where we're, we're almost, but we're not all the way. I want you to, I told you I'll go to one more place, Joshua chapter 22. Joshua chapter number 22. There's a a group of people, uh, go, go down to verse number nine with me. The children of Israel, I mean the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Now, now I want you to I want you to understand something. They're going the wrong way. They're going away from the place that they should be going. Well, where are they going? Well, look, look, let's look. To the land of their possession, whereof they were possessed according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And when they came unto the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see to. What's interesting about this group right here is they chose a life of religion. Some people choose, some believers choose to, to, to almost, choose the almost, but, but not all the way, because they'd rather have religion. They'd rather have religion. You say, what, what's, what's the deal with this religion? Well, they, they go into Canaan, and they fight and they help the Canaanites. Uh, they, I mean, they, they help the Israelites. They help them conquer the land. But when they get done doing that, they go back out to the other side of the river. They said, no, we don't want to dwell in Canaan. We don't want to dwell over there with, 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 with y'all. We want to go back to the other side. We want to go to the place that we want to go to. We don't want to be in there where God's give us. We want to go back to the place that we want to go to. And what's so interesting about this is there is an altar that's built in Shiloh that, 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 that is God's altar, and they choose to build another altar. The Bible says a great, a great altar. Now, this altar is, is uh, what we understand. It's going to be a big, elaborate altar. 
and, and it's going to be big enough, a great altar to see, uh, for, for everybody to see. And so what happens? Uh, verse number 11, Bible said, and when they, uh, uh, verse number 11, and the children of Israel heard, behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the, border, in, in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of, uh, and when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up, uh, to, go up to war against them. So they hear, they, they, they respond with some accountability measures, if you would. They're going to chop their heads off because they are building an altar outside of the altar, that, the real altar that's already been built. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see. This altar was a symbol. It wasn't the real thing. They actually, later on, they say, we're not even, even going to sacrifice on this altar. You need to know that. We're not going to sacrifice on the altar. It's just a symbol. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. It's just going to be a symbol. We're not going to sacrifice on the altar. All we want is a symbol. And, and I can't help but think how many people have chosen a religious symbol over the real thing. They'd rather go and dwell on the other side of Jordan. They'd rather go and stay over there. Why? Because you can get away with a symbol over there. And here's the, here's the sad part. They don't intend to sacrifice on the symbolic altar, nor are they going back to Shiloh to sacrifice either. They don't care nothing about that. They don't care nothing about being a part of that. So let's separate ourselves, and here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to at least look the part. We're going to at least look the part, so, so, so don't... don't don't, don't be coming up and getting in our stuff too more too bad. We got an altar. Just calm down. <laughs> you know? We're, 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 here on, we're here like two Sundays a week. I mean, two Sundays a month. Come on, dude. Ain't that enough? Not if you're going to hand anything down, it ain't. No, 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 no. It's not enough. Well, we're so busy. Well, hand down. You're, what you're going to do is you're going to hand down what you're busy with. Well, we just got too much going on. Well, you're going to hand down what you got too much going on with. Why, we just don't feel like it. Well, you're going to hand down. You don't feel like it. Well, I, you know, it's just so hard. Well, you're going to hand down. It's too hard. You're going to hand down. You're going to hand down what you don't have is faith. And it's impossible to please God without faith. You're going to hand that down. Here's, but here's Here's crazy. The, these, these jokers, they go after them. They start questioning them. Verse 16 and, and, and verse number 17, they get all up in there. They get all up in their grill. I, I, they want to go to war. And, 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 and here's, here's, where, here's where you're going to lose some people when you start waging a war against things that matter. And this matters. 
this matters. We, what matters is we, we understand that there is a false way that looks the right way. And that's why it's so important to define terms around here. We're always defining terms. Why? Because some people say one thing and mean another. Some people say discipleship and they mean something completely different than I do. Some people uh, uh, b- b- believe in preservation and they mean something completely different than I do. You say that's why it's so important to define who we are. And, and those are things that we should be willing to wage a war against. Those are things that we should war a good warfare against. So he says, and they said in uh, verse number 16, uh, What trespass is this that ye have committed against the Lord, uh, against uh, the God of Israel, to turn away this day from following the Lord in and that ye have builded you an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord. And, and make sure this is not rebel against Moses. This was rebel against the Lord. Verse 17, is the iniquity of Peor too little for us? For which we are not cleansed in this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord. So they call him back and says, don't turn away from the Lord. Verse 18, he says, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. It will be, seeing you rebel, uh, you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. You know what, he, you know what he's saying? You, you, this is going to affect us. Your building of the altar is going to affect the whole congregation. Your fake, your faults, your, your symbols that you're putting up with no real connection to the Lord, all that, it's going to affect everybody. And your fake stuff is going to be projected on other people. And what you are in almost and not all the way, they're going to follow you. Don't, don't take us with you. Don't, don't take us into this with you. So what do they do? They invite them to, to come into the promised land. Well, I noticed some interesting things. I noticed some interesting things that happened. Um, go, 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 to verse, uh, go to verse number 21. No, 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 go, go down to verse 24. I'm sorry, verse 24. Uh, and, and if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, what, what's the thing? So, so they're saying they, they did it for a certain reason. In the time to come, your children, they're talking about the children of Israel, might speak unto our children saying, what have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? They're worried about what the children of Israel's children are going to say to their children when they get older. They're really worried they're going to call them out on their fake altar. We've been over here in shallow sacrificing to the Lord. Where y'all been? Oh, well, we got this symbol. Don't worry about us. We're all good. No, no, no. Here's what you ain't got no part in the Lord. Look, look, look what he said, verse 25. For, for the Lord God hath made Jordan a border between us and you. Ye children of Reuben and children of Gad, 
you have no part in the Lord, so shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. What's so crazy is that they thought their children were going to fear the Lord to begin with. They actually thought in their mind, this two and a half tribes thought, they were going to raise children to fear the Lord. With a symbol? Come on, man. You know that ain't going to work. You know that ain't the real thing. Our children, our, our, the next generation, they're looking for something real. They're not looking for something fake. They're not looking for all your fluff. They're not like, they, don't, they don't care nothing about all that. They don't care what you can do and, and how good you can make it look. I'm all the time worried about, about making sure that, that, you know, we got all of the stuff that we need and all this and all that. And, and, and you know, we got all the music right. We got this and that right. And Briscoe, he, you know, he's got a way to, he said, you don't need all that. You don't need all that junk to worship the Lord. I guess you're right. Quit all that nonsense. Quit worrying about it. You don't need it. What, what do you need? You need, the Lord. You, you, you need to be worshiping the Lord. But they were so worried that, other, that the children of Israel's children were going to affect their children's perception. You ready? Of their own Christianity. That's one thing you don't tamper with nowadays. You, you, you don't, it seems like you can't mess with people's version or brand of Christianity. Well, how do you know mine's any different than yours? Well, if that Romans 1 and 2 thing in there, then yours is different. Well, I, I, you know, that's part of the Bible. I just don't have to believe, right? No. Nah. They chose a symbol. They chose a symbol. That's all they wanted was a symbol. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? You want a symbol? You just want a symbol? You can have it. But I'm begging you. Don't hand it down. Don't reproduce it, please. While others are fighting for the next generation and standing in the gap, please do not reproduce yourself. If all you want is to look and to, to, to identify morally as a please don't do that. Because we don't need any, we don't need any more moral people. You can't hardly find people that are lost anymore because they're kin to people that are in churches somewhere. It's the weirdest thing. Like everybody, yeah, I'm, I'm saved. May not be that way. It's isn't that way in Georgia. Everybody's saved in Georgia. Everybody goes to a church. Like for real. They ain't been in, in, in two years and everybody is a, is a church member somewhere. Everybody's saved. Everybody's this. Everybody's that. But what do you want? 
You want the real thing? You want your kids to be raised in shallow? And to be and to get old to get older and be able to identify what the other side's altar looks like? Oh, that's not my altar. That's that's not God's altar. No, 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 no. That's not God's. Those are not God's things. Those are not God's people. They they say they're God's people, but they're not. Listen, we got one shot to get it right. We got one shot to hand it down. We got one shot to give it all we got for the glory of God. What do you want? You want the real thing? Or you want a symbol? You want, you want the real thing? You just want to put a cross around your neck. You want the real thing? You want someone to come in here and, and enjoy and, and, and then leave the same way you came? You say, man, you're, a, you're an emotional dude. <laughs> you have no idea. I've done good not to cry any more than I've already cried. Because this thing right here, this is the kind of stuff that if we don't do something with it. Man, I, I was sitting and in, in, in they can come, uh, get ready, whatever we're going to do here. I was sitting back in the house and I was listening to, to Neil and Debbie's son, Isaac, Sarah Joe and Claire, my two girls, and Hosanna, and they're all Code's little girl all hanging out and talking. And bro, I, I can't help but think, man, it'd be really cool if we was at one of these conferences 10 years from now. And all four of them be really serving with everything they got. Man, you know how cool that'd be. You know how amazing that'd be? For them to pick it up and say, man, we're not going to, we're not, we're, look, we want the real thing, Dad. We don't want, we don't, we don't want yours. We don't want mama's. We want our own. Don't get, give me the real thing. I'm not going to, they're not going to ride on my coattails. Man, wouldn't it be an amazing thing if we just decided we got to give them the real thing. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being good. Lord, thank you for being faithful. God, you know my heart. and My heart is, is completely set to doing what you've called me to do. Man, Lord, I, I love seeing fruit. I love watching kids and, and college students. I love watching them take the next step. I love watching people that, 
It's been married for 10 and 20 years. You finally get a vision and a burden for what's real and take the next step. I love watching Miss Diane, 70 years old, walk through discipleship because she knows it's the next thing to do. Lord, thank you for giving me what you've given me. Thank you for the life and the friends you've blessed me with. God, may we hand down the real thing. In Jesus' name. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.